time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome everybody to episode 28 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. This week, we feature the second Halloween-themed episode of this October, and it is a doozy. There is much love for this film out there, and hopefully our conversation can capture some of our own feelings about it. Patrick, I love this movie. Love, 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 love <laughs> it. Should I say love some more? Because I really love I wa- this movie. Why don't you tell us how you feel about it? I, I kind of I love it. I kind of love it. <laughs> Uh, but I know I know you do too as well. So I do. what do you say we just kind of skip our normal what we've been up to section and get right into it? That sounds good, man. It sounds like a plan. I'm anxious to start as well. Um, so with that, we invite you to join us as we look at a very special story from the mind of Tim Burton, Disney's The Nightmare Before Christmas. "'Twas a long time ago, longer now than it seems, "'in a place that perhaps you've seen in your dreams, "'for the story that you are about to be told "'took place in the holiday worlds of old. "'Now, you've probably wondered where holidays come from. "'If you haven't, I'd say it's time you begun. "'Oh, man, that just gets me going every time. "'I mean, the moment that I put this movie on... It it's instantly transports me into Halloween Town when I hear it. I, I love, love, love the way that this movie opens with that narration and just the sweeping shots of the doors and such. Mm-hmm. It's it's phenomenal. Oh, I love it too, man. It is a uh, wow. I just it takes me back to when I first saw it and just how kind of blown away I was with everything about it, not knowing what I appreciated about it until now, and I just. I can't even describe it. I'm like, this is, I'm just, I'm taking, I'm, I'm trying to think about how I felt the first time of going, this is just really weird. And this is kind of awesome. And <laughs> what is that guy with all the bugs, you know, just all these, what's this, things. what's this? <laughs> oh man. Oh, the guy with the bugs. I can't wait to talk about him. I, I agree. It's, it is such a interesting film because of the way that most people who initially saw people our age, I will say, who saw this initially when it came out and we were younger, we were ki- What was it? it was, this was like 93 ish, I think. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. So we would have been in middle school, high school aged mm-hmm. uh, when we first saw it. And it's just, it's a different thing to watch it now from the perspective of an adult versus mm-hmm. a wide eyed kid seeing this kind of crazy stop motion stuff for the first time. We I mean, there was nothing quite like this ever before. It was very unique when it, it was. when it came out. And then now, here it is, like, I mean, it's, it's got all kinds of thematic um, meat to chew on. In fact, one of my old churches, um, a, a guy that I, I really like, James Harleman, is a pastor of this church. And uh, he runs a, a website called Cinemagogue, uh, something that was also an influence for both of us, I know, uh, in our movie watching 
habits. And he did a he did a sermon <laughs> that was based around the night before Christmas last year. It was phenomenal. <laughs> and we won't go into that, of course. But like, just I, I I think that speaks to the depth that is in something that is just considered by a lot of people to be a kids' movie. But if you really mm-hmm. look at it and uh, try to take something out of it, you can. Yeah, this is definitely a movie that looking at it as an adult, or at least with a set of film appreciation lenses, I can. I can see as something that um, is very well thought out. Uh, Tim Burton's initial idea that was realized by um, remind me of the director. I cannot remember the director's film of uh, the film. Selick, but I, I want to say Selick. Yeah. So his directorial um, direction, <laughs> along with Danny Elfman's music, all these things kind of flowed together to create a really, really um, what what I have come to realize is an incredible passion project because at the time 93, this was not your typical Disney movie. I mean, this is not Aladdin or the little mermaid or very happy. Here comes a moral at the end of the story. Uh, at least it wasn't very clear. It's a very, <laughs> I mean, it got criticism for it, a very dark movie. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think I remember reading that Disney after, after seeing a screening of it, they decided to throw it under their, um, another banner. So it wasn't, it was a Disney movie but it was distributed by I think Paramount or somebody. I can't remember, but they didn't put the Disney name on it for that very reason because it was just so off the wall, bonkers, dark. But looking at it as an adult, I could see some really, really incredible value in terms of the themes and the topics that that Burton and and Silicon and those guys came up with and, and just explored. Yeah. So, you know, I guess let's let's kind of start with that because. Okay. We we did see it years ago. I mean, I'm I'm assuming you haven't just seen this recently for the first time. Um, so <laughs> what what is your history with it? And then I'll I'll tell you mine. Okay, so my history of it, my first memory of it was getting the clamshell uh, VHS tape for Christmas. Wow! Wow! <laughs> and then this would be, I guess. So it came out in '93. So my senior year of high school, I was doing a lot of theater loved the um if you guys offline know me you know that i'm i can be pretty (laughs) just pretty just bonkers actor or whatever i just i love entertaining doing a lot of theater with famous director jeff nichols i might add (laughs) (laughs) that's on a future episode hopefully (laughs) (laughs) carry on but no but no i i loved i loved theater i loved acting and i wasn't real great at it but the times that i did get to act it was it was a lot of fun and i remember distinctly my senior year for a drama class like a drama three or something i was asked to perform an original kind of idea or whatever so what i did was (laughs) i did a dramatic interpretation of the song what's if or what's if what's this <laughs> complete with like you know lip syncing and just over the top you know expressions with my face and with you know just i just i basically just blocked the whole scene that was in the movie for my drama class and looking back on it now i'm going wow that was a bold move because i don't think i could ever do that now <laughs> but yeah i mean that that movie just it resonated with me for some reason it and as i as i think about it i'm going man this was this seemed kind of not really ahead of its time but just out of the box thinking in terms of how you uh, tell a story and i think 
the 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 music side of it really is what kind of connected me to it. What about you? Well, I'll start by saying that uh, if you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you will know this, but I'm podcasting with my friend Jack here right next to me. Uh, Jack is one of my favorite characters ever created, and I have this I have this wall up here on my entertainment center. Um, so like my, you know, the top of my entertainment center, I have, I have a characters, uh, you know, figurines, some of them are pop figures, some are Legos, and there are my favorite characters of all kinds of different entertainment and film, TV, et cetera, uh, books up there. So I have my Gandalf and my Bilbo and my Smaug sitting over the top of them. Uh, <laughs> I have my Donatello and, uh, and Jack is up there. So Jack has always been one of my favorite characters. This this is a film that I watch. I watch it twice every year at a minimum. You can imagine what, what times of year those are. And, and we're going to talk about that. Um, those are the two holidays that we are quickly approaching. Uh, Thanksgiving <laughs> and New Year's. I love yes, it. Yes, I know. Right. I just, I just want to be special. Um, <laughs> I've owned numerous uh, nightmare before Christmas clothing and other collectibles. I have, I have a, a clock, a, a version, replica of the clock tower in the Halloween town that does the countdown to, to Christmas. Well, it's, it's for Christmas. So it says, you know, countdown to Xmas on it that I put out every Christmas, um, and, and use as a countdown or a countdown thing. Um, I used to have a hoodie that I would wear all the time. I got it in Disneyland, which it was my favorite thing about Disneyland was we went in the fall for the first time and the haunted mansion at Disneyland is turned into like this nightmare before Christmas themed thing. And it is, it is unbelievable. Like it is just the best thing in the world. I I could live in this Hall- Halloween Town world so well, and it's just, um, it's always been like that. And I feel like as I've grown, it's just, it's always connected with my childhood, and and I've never lost it. Like I have some other films. Some things have you know kind of waned in their their popularity, you know, for me. But this is a is an all time top twenty film for me. Um, it's something I was so excited to, to get my kids into, and they love it. They watch it over and over and over with me. Uh, I love Halloween Town and the game Kingdom Hearts. It's my favorite part of the video game, Kingdom Hearts. I just, I love it. As I said in the opening, I, the, the, I guess I could use a whole bunch of different adjectives, but love is a very appropriate word in this case. And so I'm pumped to talk about it. And I, I'd say I would like to acknowledge what we just kind of alluded to, which is this idea that it's is it a christmas or a halloween movie um, and <laughs> that so, was a great poll question this week man yeah. i love the fact that you put that up there yeah so so a couple days ago i kind of when we I was watching this i was like you know i want to know what people think and so i went on the discussion group that we have which um is an awesome place if you're not if you're, if you're a new listener and you're interested in talking film sometimes tv and other things with other listeners of feel and film uh, we do have a Facebook group that you can search for it called, you know, Feel and Film Podcast. It's a Facebook um, discussion group there. And we do a lot of posting there and do some polls and stuff like that. And so I posted this poll and I asked the group and I was like, so what do you think The Nightmare Before Christmas is? And the options were Halloween, Christmas, How Do You Expect Me to Choose? It's both You Maniac. <laughs> and I haven't seen the nightmare before Christmas and deserve to be publicly shamed. <laughs> now, I did this... not put that poll question up, by the way. This no, I, not... <laughs> I, I take full ownership for this poll question. <laughs> so 
I want to I want to read a comment or two because the very first comment in this was um, actually I don't know if it was the first comment. I'm trying to get there. Um, well, the first comment was it's both. Don't you dare ask me to choose, which seems to be a reoccurring theme. Um, the next one was I'm predicting a landslide, and Reed was exactly right because this poll had 20 votes for how do you expect me to choose? It's both, and Halloween came in second with a whopping. Seven. <laughs> so, but, but can I say this? I think you and I were two of those seven, right? I think we were two of those seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we both voted Halloween. Um, no one voted Christmas. Two people uh, have not seen it yet, uh, including Gabriel Green, the host of the Underrated podcast, which I want to say a quick plug for. If you guys uh, are looking for more shows along the same veins of ours that like to really promote the positive aspect of some films that don't get enough love check out underrated very good stuff even though gabriel is going to be publicly shamed for not having seen nightmare before christmas so maybe maybe you make him a deal where you will check out his podcast if he watches this movie Uh, (laughs) but anyway it was a lot of fun and there were some good comments in here some good threads i got to ask a couple of people who don't like it uh why they don't like it and you know it's just it's just interesting to see it like you know some people admitted they just didn't care for the style or they didn't care like the stop motion style. Um, and they didn't care for the kind of macabre, um, dark, colder aspect of the film, which is okay. And it makes total sense. Um, I think they're a little bit crazy, but it's still okay. (laughs) So I, I don't know. I guess where we land on this is simply that most people think it is both a Christmas and a Halloween movie. Um, I watch it for both. So even though I voted for Halloween, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to argue too hard about it. It's a very subjective poll, isn't it? It really is. It really, really <laughs> as is. As most poll questions we put out there, right? <laughs> hey, as long as people are watching this, I think it's good. Yeah, that's for sure, man. So so you mentioned Earth. Yeah, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, 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 no. You go ahead. I was just going to say, well, you mentioned. No, you go ahead. <laughs> no, you. No, you. Okay. We're going to stop so you guys don't listen. <laughs> don't shut this thing off. Um, you mentioned earlier about the uh, surprising themes and interesting topics that that kind of came up uh, that weren't really hidden, I guess, but that were kind of discovered as as adults. At least I thought I, you know, I, I felt that way. Um, what were some some big ideas that that you came away with in watching this again? Well, my first big thematic pull from this is really a question that I want us to discuss. Okay, uh, because I can see. I could see this same this I could see the message of this film being kind of one of three things. I could see a world where people under where people view this film as telling us don't take risks, don't fight the established order of things because if you try to mess with them um you're going to end up alone, you're going to end up you know crashed in a cemetery uh <laughs> and it's not going to work out for you. <laughs> so I can see a world where some people could get that message out of it, that it's it's telling us that Jack is trying to teach us, listen, taking these risks is not worth it. It's not going to pay off. Do what you know, right? Um, I see another message in this, though, another way that this the same thing could be interpreted where we're, we're looking at Jack as someone who is learning to appreciate his talents, uh, which in this case would be like scaring people. And learning to use them the best he can to embrace them and to just 
really be who he is and not try to be who someone else is. And then, of course, the third message I could pull out of this is really just that it, it's just telling us simply to listen to our girlfriend. Because <laughs> if we did, then none of this bad stuff would happen. <laughs> only if she could be like, only if our girlfriends had premonitions and, and <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit, make, it's yeah, could make, yeah, it is a little bit. Yeah. But, if, if my girlfriend or my wife could make a flower turn into a Christmas tree and then burn up, I'd probably listen to her about most things anyway. <laughs> I listen to her about a lot of things, but that would probably just cinch it if I had any doubts. It really would. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, man, I feel like I am on the side of, you know, this being a film that it inspires me to see Jack go through this struggle because mm-hmm. I understand and I can relate to the feeling of being in a job or being in a place in my life where it's monotonous. Things have become routine and it may be something I'm good at, but it's become the word boring. Um, mm-hmm. It's no longer exciting. You know, a lot of people go through this not to get too serious on everybody, but a lot of people go through this in their marriage. You know, marriage becomes very much a routine it's it's not new anymore you're good at it (laughs) you know you're good at going through those daily motions of coming home and making dinner and you know watching a tv show putting the kids down going to bed getting up the next day it's very the same that's kind of what jack is going through he's very good at it but it's the same thing and he feels like Mm -hmm. something's missing he needs something more um and so you seek that out and you know, maybe it's a midlife crisis, you know, for a 30 year old guy or something trying to seek that out by buying a sports car and driving it around. That's just a, an example, but I mean, it, it could be anything, like I said, a job related thing as well. Yeah. And so I, yeah. I relate to those feelings that Jack was having. And I feel like for me, it's very inspiring to see him both want those things because I don't think wanting and desiring to seek out, new experiences is bad. And I think that Jack all throughout this film comes from a, a very good hearted place. There is no, and that's one thing I love about this film is that there's no deviousness in Jack. Jack's not trying to hurt anybody. All of Jack's mistakes are what you would say is innocent. You know, he's really trying to do something for the better good. He's just not making the correct choices. Um, and so I take that out of it and I take the, the side of, that Jack is showing us um, that, you know, you can embrace who you are by the end of this film and that you can't, you are talented and we all have those talents and we all have something that is amazing about us um, and we're necessary mm-hmm. and that that can be enough and it's okay for that to be enough. That's, that's kind of where I land. Yeah. And How about I, you? I, I can, well, I can definitely see those themes and resonate with those as well. The thing I love about film in general is how, depending on what's happening in the world around you, certain things resonate that they wouldn't necessarily resonate with at any particular time else elsewhere or else when. <laughs> and I, I love the idea of understanding things outside of your own world. As a kid watching this movie, I saw Christmas as the standard to strive for when it came to holiday hierarchy. Like it was the quote good holiday and Halloween was the bad one in terms of like, the attitudes behind it. Both were fun. I mean, you got, you got candy Halloween and you get to you know, do these things and dress up, but it, it has a quote negative stereotype associated with it, or at least a darker stereotype for sure. And this movie plays to that for sure, you know, in, in a lot of ways. But what I, what I loved um, about watching it now is that 
I see in the context of the movie, both holidays should be valued equally. Both the participants of Halloween Town and Christmas Town see what they do as important to their respective holidays. And not understanding that important diminishes the value of it. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's a theme in the movie, but it speaks volumes to how culturally it's so important to value the worldview of other people and other cultures. You know, to be able to kind of get inside the world of the people next door to you or down the street or, or whatever. And obviously in light of sort of the, the issues going on with our country in terms of some of the racial division, that's more important now uh, as, as ever. And, and, and so seeing this play out in a <laughs> unintentional allegorical way, uh, I think is incredibly valuable. And I, and I definitely resonated with me because you know, it wasn't just that I wanted to say Halloween's great, you know, and Christmas is great too. But to know that who I am and, and who you are and who we are as people and um, we're, we're valuable people <laughs> and, and we're not mistakes. You know, the things that we, that we, um, that make up who we are, our talents and our quirks and everything are, are part of what make us who we are and understanding that about one another not just me and you, but about the world around us, I think really helps in cultural relationships. And I think this movie uh, does, it paints a great picture of that, at least at the end of the movie. Wow, that's some deep stuff. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I just... Yeah. That's some deep stuff, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, no, I agree. Let me come back to the shallow end of the pool. <laughs> I love this! So it's really pretty. Um, no, I agree wholeheartedly with you. Um, there is there's so much you can pull out of it. And I think that sign of a really good story, whether mm -hmm. it's a film or a book or a TV show or a comic book or anything, but story in general is something you can read in different ways upon, you know, rewatches or rereads or whatever it is. And this is one that can do that. You can, you can pull it, you can watch it with, the mindset of what you're talking about and it becomes a different experience entirely mm -hmm. than if you watch it solely focusing on kind of what I was talking about, um, which is a different experience. than if you watched it solely focusing on just how fun and vibrant and musical it is. And that to me is awesome, you know, because I, I it keeps it fresh and it gives it life beyond uh, just that first initial viewing. Oh yeah. And yeah, in two decades, I mean, it's two decades later and it doesn't feel dated to me at all. Mm -mm, not at all. And, and in fact, I think it, it's, it's gotten even more personal appreciation for me, not only for those themes or whatever, but just all of the, I guess you would call classic forms of storytelling that exist in here. Uh, one being the, the stop motion animation, which I think honestly is a lost art form. I remember going into the Lego movie and being so cool, just feeling so impressed, like, wow, all this is stop motion, only to find out later it wasn't. It was just made to look like stop motion because that would have taken like 15 years to come up with a movie like that <laughs> because it's just the amount of, of effort that stop motion as a, as a storytelling device takes. And that's not to diminish any other forms of storytelling, but I mean, you have to think about every specific movement you know so when jack smiles you have to think about all of the you know muscle 
motions or whatever that it takes to make that to make that face. And it reminded me of a uh, just as a quick tangent. I got I got to go a couple of years ago. I got to go to a studio where um, a friend of mine's wife, who created these sculptures, was asked to use those sculptures in a stop motion, you know, commercial a oh, six neat. a six to eight second film. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. 12 seconds. And we were there for, and they, and they were continuously working as, as we were visiting with them. Mm-hmm. We were there for an hour and they got two frames. <laughs> yep. Okay. Of a, what, maybe 20 frame per second film. And so we're talking at least, you know, 120 frames for, for six seconds worth. And we only got, I mean, we got to see two of those frames in the course of an hour. And so just to think about this movie in terms of just the effort that the animators uh, went through to create this world and to create the subtle movements of Jack, especially like, for instance, the the moment when he's grabbing the doorknob to go into Christmas town and the reflection Mm. of the doorknob. Mm -hmm. I read somewhere that that was the hardest shot to get. I read the same thing and and it, it boggles your mind, right? Yeah. Because you're like, oh, that seems so simple. He's opening a door. <laughs> exactly. But it just speaks to the talent level that, that was on this on this crew, as well as the love and the passion that they had to make this thing what it did. And uh, and I love that. Yeah, me too. I, it's it's technical side or technical, you know, delivery is is I I guess I almost want to say unmatched. <laughs> I mean, I, I've seen some other stop motion stuff and maybe it's because I don't care for the stories as much that I say that, but it's, it's combination, I guess, of, of stop motion work with the incredible music, the score, the, uh, the songs, the lyrical lyrics, the character creations, everything is into this amazing package. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, it, it's interesting that Henry Selleck directed this because you, a lot of people, believe that tim burton directed it i mean it's called tim burton's, tim burton's the nightmare, the nightmare before, before christmas, christmas. <laughs> right and you know that he's a director so you would assume that that's the case uh, but he was busy i believe working on batman returns or mm-hmm. yeah i think it was batman returns at the same at the same time as this or mm-hmm. close to it and so he asked Selick to do it another fun little note about Selick here is that he hid a couple of hidden mickeys in there so I, I don't really? know if you're if you're if you're a Disneyland veteran or Disney World veteran, you'll know that one of Disney's big thing is hidden Mickey's. You can go around the park looking for them and trying to find them, and it's just this big fun little thing. And he put a couple in there uh, as Easter eggs, um, so that was cool. There's one of them is actually a scene where Jack is giving the child like a a monster of some kind. It's like a flying stuffed animal, and it has this big sharp tooth grin on it. Um, and the face that that, that that monster makes is the shape of a hidden Mickey. And then she, <laughs> she's also wearing a Mickey print nightgown. And then oh, her, her little brother's wearing Donald Duck PJs. So <laughs> I, I really enjoy this kind of stuff about Disney's Disney's filmography. And, and this goes way back, you know, to 93. They do a lot of it now. Um, but these are pretty subtle. They also, uh, Selick actually also went and put Jack Skellington in two of his future films, James, the giant peach and Coraline or Coraline, however you want to say that. Were both Um, of those, I guess they were both stop animation. They were. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. I remember James and the Giant Peach. I don't remember the second one. Coraline. It's a, a Neil Gaiman book that was adapted. Oh, okay. It's a very good story, but also very dark, very macabre. Um, <laughs> well, it makes sense for for this type for of Neil style. Gaiman and Tim Burton. You put them together. I think they also did. I think they might have done something together before that. I don't know if Neil Gaiman was involved in the Corpse Bride or if that was just Tim Burton. Um, sure, by himself. But yeah, it it's really neat just to dig into some of the stuff with this film, particularly because we've we've both seen it so many times. We've both become so familiar with it um, and learning about it. it, You know, the, the behind the scenes things uh, enhances that there's not a lot of movies that I do that with. Uh, I don't think I have the time or the, the mind power to commit to it, but (laughs) you know, this being one of my all time favorites, it it definitely falls in that category for me. I think the, uh, the character creation itself, like all the different, None of these guys really felt like iterations of anything, except maybe, maybe the scientist. He felt a little bit like you know, um, you know Frankenstein. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I think that was intentional. I mean, right? I'm, but I'm saying that that he was the exception. I don't ever recall, or even since seeing this, have ever seen such original animated characters that didn't feel like iterations of something else. Like all of these characters felt very original to me. And it may have been that they were just so bizarre in how they looked or in their personalities. Um, but that was really appealing to me. I, 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 it felt refreshing to me seeing this as a kid and, again, as an adult. So I, I really like those all the different character creations. Yeah, me too. I think you know, Sally is so unique to have this scarecrow-like character who's also sort of a Frankenstein in a way. <laughs> Um, there's one thing about her, one scene that I, I wanted to ask you, what would have happened had Sally jumped out of the tower and both arms had broken off because only <laughs> one arm broke off right. and she was able to <laughs> sew it back on. And I looked at my daughter and I was like, what happens if both of her arms go off? And my daughter's like, right. And we couldn't, we were trying to figure this out. I mean, are her arms operable? Like I'm trying to remember if there's a moment where we see this in the film where her limbs kind of they work even if they're not attached. Yeah, they, they do work if they're not attached because there's the, uh, the moment when she's rescuing Sandy Claus and her hands come down and untie him. And so I think had both arms been broken off, they would have found a way back to her body at some point. <laughs> they, they must have. But yeah. There were, I mean, but there were other quirks that as I was watching, I was going that, no, I don't know if that makes sense. Like when, I was I was getting into the whole. It, this is dumb. I was getting into the uh, the timeline. Yeah. Like, did this take place over the course of like two months, or was it a whole year? Because when <laughs> when they they ra- they rose up the little sign that said, you know, how many days to Christmas instead of Halloween was did had they already? I, I, I couldn't remember. Was this did they just reset the clock for Christmas? And I think so. They, I think okay. I think Halloween has just passed, and then we are we have like about a you know month month and a half to Christmas. At okay. that point. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was like, mm, okay. When did, did they, yeah, it must've reset the clock. Okay. <laughs> With some but, of the, yeah. uh, some of the other characters though, I mean, Oogie Boogie for me is just one of the best villains. Um, I think it, it's, it's interesting because he doesn't have a lot of time, screen time. Um, he's not really super deep. I just love his design. I love the idea that he's this again, kind of like Sally only instead of being stuffed with, Hey, he's, literally made of bugs like somehow that are inside you know being held together and 
he's just he's kind of like the joker you, you almost think like he just wants to watch the world burn he has this that crazy <laughs> wheel you know he rolls snake yeah. eyes and they're they're actual snake eyes i don't know if you noticed that but they're like little, he never rolls anything but snake eyes. i, like, I come know on, you're, you're a cheater you're totally weighing those dice <laughs> he really is and i don't know he just i think he provides a really unique foil and and he just he shows a part of Halloween Town that I think we needed to see because we don't see a lot of kind of scary evilness going on. It's all it's all given it to us in a lighthearted manner, as if you know oh, there are just nice little ghouls and ghosts and vampires walking around and werewolves. They're all nice, you know. They're nice. They're not they're not hurting anybody, um, and it doesn't seem and feel completely realistic <laughs> until you see Oogie Boogie and then yeah. you know the mischievousness of Lock, Lock and Barrel. Uh, and then Oogie Boogie's death scene to me is awesome because it's, it's kind of disturbing. Like it, it, it gives me that balance between kids movie and adult movie where it's like, wow, there's millions of these bugs that are like falling into this lava pit thing. And they're just like squealing is they're going and he's dying. And it's like, it's creepy. <laughs> I'm going to disagree with you. In that okay. Regard. All right. Because I'm going to say this. It wasn't kind of creepy. It was creepy. Oh, it was okay. just the, the worst kind of creep that Look, look, Oogie Boogie haunts my nightmares sometimes. <laughs> I'm glad I don't watch this at Christmas because that would totally ruin my Christmas experience for, for me personally. And uh, But you're right. I mean, he's a fantastic villain. And I think in a lot of ways, it, he his his song sort of personifies that evil because he takes pleasure in all kinds of sadistic you know, ideas about what he's going to do and um, so when he meets his demise, it's, it's incredibly refreshing for me personally, <laughs> but I just remember watching this, uh, when we watched it this last week, just to kind of, uh, for a review, I go, man, he is still just as creepy as he was when I was a kid. Yeah. And, um, it's funny because again, I'm thinking about Halloween town and what it's supposed to be. And we get this two thirds of a movie where we get kind of acclimated to a nice, you know, Halloween environment like oh happy people you know just playing jokes and being pranks and just being being vampires and whatever and then we get this scene with boogie boogie and i'm like whoa yeah this is this is wrong this is not good at all (laughs) his song is just so great too like it's it's very memorable you know i mean like there's multiple times throughout every year in all of my life where i'll just break into a whoa Wow. Whoa. Whoa. It's so awesome. It just you can't you can't not smile when you're doing it too. Exactly. And, and exactly. with with bringing it to my kids, which I know you're excited and you're gonna do too, once Carson's old enough, you know, that like they'll jump in there and sing it with me. And they'll just go back and forth and it's it's such a cool thing to connect yourself with your children. <laughs> Um, yeah. Well, let's 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 talk about what I think is probably the best part of this movie, and that's the music of of Danny Elfman. Oh yeah. Can, can we get into that? Because it's, it is the best. I mean, it makes it what it is. Danny, this is one of the first movies that I began to start appreciating and listen for common composers. In other words, when I heard this soundtrack, I was like, "Well, who did the soundtrack?" And I saw this guy Danny Elfman all over it, and I was like, "Well, what else has he done?" And then I saw him connected with Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands and Batman. And he has become one of my favorite composers. Um, you know, he's behind the Simpsons theme. I didn't uh, know that. 
Yes. Uh, uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. You know, these, uh, these movies, movies and shows that I grew <laughs> up with that for, you know, take them or leave them, the music, he brings, he brings emotion to the movie with his music. And so, of course, I'm looking up all this trivia to find out more about him and his role. It almost should have been called Danny Elfman's The Nightmare Before Christmas because this movie was driven by the songs. Not only the the uh, the lyrical stuff, but even the instrumental pieces. Um, I found out that he actually voiced the uh, singing parts for Jack. That uh, the guy who I forget the the voice actor for the dialogue uh, insisted that he just doesn't have a good singing voice. So Danny Elfman. Anytime you hear Jack singing, that's Danny Elfman. And um, I just and and, and looking at the and looking at the lyrics for some of these songs and how they are all kind of put together is just fascinating to me. It reminded me of our episode on West Side Story and just how creative lyrics and music are when they come together to not only uh, create something wonderful to that's singable, but also that tells another part of the big story. And, uh, and I, I loved it. I just, Danny Elfman, you know, you know, here's my high five to you, buddy, because you're phenomenal. It really is. And like you said, the lyrics, and I know we're going to talk about a couple of those uh, specifically later in the connecting point part of our show, but there's just so much in them, so much depth and, and it takes a talent. It takes a talented, intelligent human being to mix lyrics that can both be acceptable and, and um, can reach kids of all ages in a fun and vibrant way and not go over their head while also truly saying a lot. There's one specific line where Jack says, you know, just because I cannot see it doesn't mean I can't believe it. Like think about that. Right. I mean, Jack is literally describing faith right there. Mm -hmm. Like just because I can't see it doesn't mean I can't believe it. Um, or Santa Claus or, I mean anything, you know, and it's, it's a simple line and it rhymes and it's delivered in a fun, boisterous manner, mm-hmm. but there, it means so much more uh, when you actually take it and you, you read it and then you, and then when you hear it in, and you listen to the whole thing in context, of course, um, it's even better, but I, I completely agree. Um, the soundtrack is something that's on repeat at this time of year, quite a bit for me. I play it all the time. <laughs> I play it all the way through. I love it. I love the instrumental pieces um, just kind of like listening to the opening, the monologue there at the beginning that we did, it just invokes or evokes this emotion in me, um, this happiness and this joy and this, this awe, just, mm-hmm. just like Jack has of, you know, going into this place and this, this sense of wonder. Um, it's, it's really special <laughs> and I don't know that there are a lot of things that I could even compare to it. Well, you mentioned you mentioned the opening monologue sequence, and um, this is kind of where my mind got a little jarred quite a bit because I'm I'm listening, I'm, I'm watching the movie, and I'm hearing this monologue. I'm like, that doesn't that doesn't sound right. I mean, the the, <laughs> the the words are there, but that doesn't sound right. So I went back and queued up my soundtrack, which, like you, I would listen to all the way through because the soundtrack this is this is one of the soundtracks that has to be listened to. I say has to should be listened to sequentially all the way through. Yeah, exactly. Because, because the music is so, uh, just, it's so dense with, with story 
that it actually tells the whole thing without, I mean, you can, you can almost, it's like you can picture the movie in your head as you're listening to the, uh, to the, to the soundtrack. But I, I, I went back and listened to that opening narration. And I was like, that's Patrick Stewart on the soundtrack. And mm. I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> what happened here? And I think I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I remember that he was slated to do it and I think he had to back out or they went with somebody else or I can't remember, but he's on the soundtrack. He does the narration for, I think, the beginning and the end, whatever the narration you hear. And uh, But he's on the soundtrack, but not in the actual film. Yep, that's absolutely right. He was going to do the narration throughout the film. The narrator is going to have a bigger role, oh. uh, according to Burton, and there was going to be kind of quite a few little monologue sections throughout and once they got into it they kind of decided that they didn't need those and so he got cut it wasn't because of him not being good it was just because the narrated parts weren't necessary for the story gotcha. in the way that in the way that they had initially kind of conceived I gotcha. and so that's why he ended up not being on there which is it's it, i agree with you and we we played the original uh for no posterity's sake here, <laughs> but, um, I do urge you guys, if you, maybe we'll post it in the Facebook group, if we can find it on YouTube, I'm sure it's out there. Um, the Patrick Stewart version of this, because it does, it'll give you chills just because you know, his voice, the moment you right. hear it, you know, it's him and it, yeah, it kind of takes it to a new place. Yeah. So just a couple of bits of trivia before we move on, uh, regarding Danny Elfman and his incredible talents. Um, a couple other voice, uh, Easter eggs. He voiced the Oompa Loompas in the uh, reimagined Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Are you serious? Yes, not kidding, not kidding. And within uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas, he voiced Beryl and Santa Claus. Oh. So, and also the clown with the tearaway face, but I think anybody could have done that one because (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't too hard. But, I mean, the guy is just completely talented. And I, I just, I'm blown away at the amount of uh, just the amount of passion that he put into this. And I remember reading that he, he said in an, in an interview, this was the easiest set of songs for him to write because he connected with the subject matter in so many different ways. Now he didn't go into detail about what that was all about, but so I can't really speculate as to what that means. But the fact that he loved the, doing the movie so much that it sort of, it shows with the, uh, with the music and the lyrics that, uh, that came with it. Oh, it shows. Passion project is a is a good word for it that you used earlier because you can feel it oozing out of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, one scene that is not in our connecting point, which um, we will be getting to shortly, uh, that I know we both really loved. It was a very important scene for both of us, and that is Jack's failed attempts at using science. So I have a daughter (laughs) that is very scientific. Um, She loves science. She's all about experimenting and trying new things and trying to understand things. And so this, this scene in particular just really hits home for me, both from a humorous perspective and also from a, an emotional perspective of trying to get into Jack's skin. (laughs) I just realized what I'm saying right there. Get into Jack's skin. He's a skeleton. I didn't do it on purpose, I swear. Um, no bones about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're making okay. it better. That's even better. Not that's worse, worse. That's better. But it's it's, worse. <laughs> it reminds me of like our approach to movies uh, in that 
you know, Jack's mail, he has multiple failed attempts at logic and science to explain and understand something that is emotional. And that's kind of where we land. We try to explain things sometimes, or we see things in film criticism sometimes that are trying to explain away a movie without taking completely out of it the emotional response that you have as an audience member because Mm -hmm. maybe that frame wasn't perfectly fitting in the screen or maybe that line wasn't delivered as crisply as you feel it should have been. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think in a lot of ways that makes us like Jack in this scene because we're trying to get to that heart of understanding the emotional aspect of something. Um, And so anyway, I just, I really enjoy this scene overall. It's so fun. uh, So hilarious and kind of sobering too, uh, just to see the depth of his misunderstanding of what Christmas is. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm with you. It is probably my favorite scene of the entire movie. Not only because I love the subtlety of, of this movie and some of the things like in particular when he's like when he puts the candy cane in the beaker and it like goes limp. <laughs> and it goes limp. Or, <laughs> or like he's, he's, it, you know, he's trying to apply science to this, this obscure holiday. And it got me thinking about the fact that, um, <laughs> I wonder how it would, how it would go down if I tried to explain Christmas, the, you know, what we see, what we know of Christmas right now to someone who'd never heard of it and how sort of ridiculous it kind of is. I mean, not Christmas as, as a whole, but trying to, trying to explain away yeah, you give presents and you put them under a tree and there are these like it, it couples with his his town hall meeting when he tries to explain all these things and everybody in the room is like, oh, yeah, it's like this. He's like, no, 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 it's not like that. You don't put deadheads inside Christmas packages. We, we get this kind of this weird like, oh, so Christmas, you know, when you have to explain it uh, or Halloween or Thanksgiving or whatever, um, it, it can be kind of difficult and. It's there. There are some pretty ridiculous things about it. At least, at least when seen at first glance, and and I can see how someone might have a hard time understanding uh, a holiday like this or, or anything. I remember being overseas several years ago, and I tried to explain baseball to someone in South Africa who wasn't familiar with the sport. I mean, <laughs> did you say it's like cricket? <laughs> Well, see, that, great point. I had to say it's like. I had to compare it to something else. Like I mm-hmm. couldn't describe it based on the objective of the game because as I tried to explain it, it sounded stupid. <laughs> Which, I mean, most most sports, you know, when you try to explain them just at their base, sound pretty ridiculous. Like football, you take a pigskin and you run 100 yards to try to go to one end of a field. <laughs> just, it doesn't. And, and I think that that's kind of what he was running into here was he was trying to be uh he was trying to be scientific and then when he tried to explain it it came across just like ah and it ties right into what you were saying that you can't explain emotion you can't explain a an emotional connection to something and you know that definitely bled into um probably my next favorite scene which was um the uh, the what's this number and i think this is an opportune moment maybe for us to kind of dive into our connecting points at this at this juncture what do you think yeah, we can do that because you are calling mine out right now. 
um, you know, it, I feel almost like I'm cheating <laughs> by by saying that my connecting point is what's this because it is clearly the iconic song <laughs> and number uh, from this film. Uh, it is the thing that people know the most. Uh, it is the cultural reference that if you're just walking down the street, you say, what's this? Someone's going to know what you're talking about. Um, I do it all the time. My kids and I do it all the time to each other. And it's, and so because of that, like I said, it feels almost like I'm cheating, but the reason behind that, it just rings true for me. It provokes such a genuine feeling of discovery and wonder and amazement. Um, I grew up, with a huge creativity side to me. And I've kind of, I've kind of lost some of that over the years. I think the podcast has actually reinvigorated that for me. Woo-hoo. Um, yeah. Yeah. Go feel and film. What's this? There's podcasts everywhere. What's this? Okay. Oh, we should have made yeah. a whole, we should have made a whole jingle. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it really does just bring out that sense of amazement in a way that most films never have for me. I've seen, you know, we've seen stories that are trying to do that, but it never has been captured as well as it is in this one moment in this song. Um, the opening of Jack's eyes, it's almost like this, his opening of his eyes to say, to seeing that the world can be different than what he knows. Eyes that he doesn't have. Right. Right. By the way, <laughs> I'm going to totally sidetrack this because Disney tried to fight to put eyes in Jack's head and Burton would not back down. Thank goodness. Because can you imagine a Jack with eyeballs? Because I can't. Disney just wasn't seeing the vision that Burton had. They certainly were not. So <laughs> I'm, I'm very glad that Jack does not have eyes. But his uh, figurative eyes, when he, or, you know, when he opens them to this new world of possibilities, right? It's almost like us coming of age and realizing, man, there's more to life than going to high school for eight hours a day and then coming home and playing out in the backyard or, or whatever. Like there's, there's a, all of this, this open, this open, you know, slate of, of life to experience. And that's what there is here. And, and I just love it. And I love every minute of, it's like an insane holiday collision. They just, you know, you're just slamming stuff together and it's just exploding and all kinds of, you know, glorious glitter um, and tinsel I love that it, the idea that Christmas town and Halloween town exist, that, mm. that there's these doors to these places. I, and I wish this was true. I really do. I wish you could like go there. <laughs> Even if I could just like see it like behind a little glass, you know, not, not interrupt it, not, not mess with the world, but just see it from afar. You would totally interrupt it. I would totally interrupt it. Um, but like, it's almost like he's having this breakdown and this crisis about what his life is, what it's been, up to this point, what it could be, who he is, who he could be. So there's this existential aspect to it. <laughs> and then, you know, and it's just an amazing catchy song that I could listen to a hundred times over and over in a row. And so you throw all of that into one little number of a mm-hmm. song. And it's just, it's, so it just makes the best. It's, it's the it sums up the entire film for me because it does all of those things. You know, it, it evokes the, the amazement factor it yeah. makes me think about life and what possibilities could be. Um, it makes me think about the holidays and, and enjoy the different aspects of them all at once. It's just all of these things 
combined together make this the moment that I love about this film and the thing that I point to when I think about it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And um, I think that your connecting point lined up with some of the themes that you pulled out of this in the same way my connecting point did that for me. And I was surprised because I was probably going to pick what's this until I caught the scene um, after Jack is blown out of the sky. And it's the number called Poor Jack. I think that's what it's titled. Mm, I think so. And and I just I wanted to quote just a handful of lyrics from it. Um, and this is from, you know, this is quoted. But I never intended all this madness. Never. And nobody really understood well. How could they? They all that all I ever wanted was to bring them something great. Why does nothing ever turn out like it should? Well, what the heck? I went and did my best, and by God, I really tasted something swell. That's right, and for a moment, why I even touched the sky. And at least I left some stories they can tell. I did, and for the first time since I don't remember when, I felt just like my old bony self again. And I, Jack, the Pumpkin King, that's right, I am the pumpkin king. Ha ha ha. I look at those lyrics and of course I'm not doing them any justice by actually just saying them. Um, but I think about those lyrics and that scene in particular and how it speaks volumes of what all Jack went through. I think he was jaded with doing the same old, same old stuff. Like you mentioned earlier, he wanted to try something new, wanted to see if he could be good at something else. He thought with good intentions that he was doing something that not only gave him pleasure, but also that he was bene- that was benefiting other people, you know, like giving Santa a break this year. <laughs> and in this scene, through the lyrics, the way Elfman sings them, and the animation of Jack's movements, we see regret. But we also see that Jack saw value in what he did, that it took trying something new and failing to help him appreciate what he was good at and, and what he was made for. It's weird because I think when I fail at something, I want to write it off and be like, yeah, that was dumb of me. I should never have even tried that. But what I think we're getting at here is that the idea of, no, try, fail, do something different if you want. See what happens. Failure and success are part of that. And it's part of the adventure. And and this scene captures that positive side of failure for me, if that even exists. I, I just it surprised me how I connected with this because Jack did so many things in that song in terms of his range of emotions and the thoughts that were going through his head. And I thought just that's, that's how I think we all should kind of react when it comes to, um, to taking a risk and trying something new is that we're going to fail and that's okay. And that we'll either learn from our mistakes, get better at what we're trying, or we'll realize that what we were good at all, all along wasn't the, wasn't so bad. Uh, it's just good stuff. Yeah, it is. It's great stuff. And uh, I love it. And I can watch it over and over and over and over um, and never get tired of it. One thing that I have always thought is that I wanted a sequel. Uh, uh, not necessarily a sequel, but I just, it's in a world that you would love to be able to explore, you know, with all those doors. It makes you curious. You know, what's behind Thanksgiving door? What's, what's in Easter world? Easter town. <laughs> Um, what's in St. Patrick's day? You know, I'm wondering what's that's in exactly like a bunch of yeah. little leprechauns. Right. But, but I guess Burton actually addressed this Disney at one point wanted to make, uh, a direct to DVD sequel, which goodness gracious, I am so glad that Burton didn't allow them to do this. Now. Um, they actually wanted to make it CGI too. 
Oh, goodness. Terrible, terrible, terrible ideas. Um, but he had told MV- MTV at the time, he said, I was always very protective of A Nightmare Before Christmas, not to do sequels or anything of the kind. You know, like Jack visiting Thanksgiving World, so exactly what Aaron said he wanted. Um, or other <laughs> kinds of things. Just because I felt that the mu- movie has a purity to it, and people like that. Yep. And overall, I got to say, I completely agree with that decision. Um, Me too. One yeah. other quick note, I just wanted to point out these two little... <laughs> With, with the way that where we are right now in the political climate, I found this very, very funny. There's a great quote by the mayor, also an awesome character design, by the way. I love the mayor, um, where he says... The split faces? Yes, yeah. like how he flips it around depending on his mood. That's definitely political, right? So cool. Well, there, that too. I didn't even think about that, but that's perfect. I didn't even think about that for the mayor. But at one point, he says, uh, Jack, I'm an elected official. I can't make decisions by myself. <laughs> how in the doesn't that just tell you everything you need to know that and the fact that as an as america they shot down santa claus and that's that's yeah. kind of what we've become we've become the country that just shoots down things we don't understand so um yeah and i'm sorry to leave you on that note but i just found those two things quite funny <laughs> well on that note, <laughs> I should say we should probably wrap this thing up before things get crazy out of control. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. So I um, wanted to remind you guys, if you want to continue the discussion, as we often like to do during the week, you can find us at Feelin' Film on Twitter. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Film. And from there, or from our website, feelingfilm.com, you can find our Facebook group, which is where most of the activity happens. And uh, you might be getting a poll question or two this week. Definitely one, but possibly a second one. And uh, if you want to connect with me personally on your thoughts, if you connected with any of the things that I did when you watch this film, you can find me at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. I'm both at Twitter, that same handle, as well as Facebook. And you can also visit my website to find out more about me, thisispatch.com. Aaron, what about you? Uh, If you want to continue talking to me about this stuff or anything at all in general, uh, you can find me all over the internet at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. You can also find the show. I'm I'm pretty much active on our Twitter account and our Facebook as well, uh, at Feel and Film. You just search that up. We're all over the place these days. Next week, we're pretty excited. We're we're kind of breaking up our Halloween movies. So we we did we're doing three in October. We did Young Frankenstein, uh, and then we broke and did Birth of a Nation, and now we're doing Nightmare Before Christmas, and then we're gonna break again before wrapping it up with uh, a horror film. And so next week we are doing Speed Racer, and we're having a special guest on for that one. Pretty excited. Uh, I think it'll be the first time we will have had a guest on for our main show. So that is a new thing on episode. Gosh, what is this going to be like 29? Took us 29 mm-hmm. episodes to yeah, do that. So. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a big deal for us and we're really we excited. To, we had to find our legs. We had to find our legs. You know, we did. Before. We needed to get it, get it, get it going. Um, but yeah, Speed Racer was on the docket for us early, early on as an underrated film that we thought needed to get some more love and needed some attention given to it. So we are, Pretty pumped to talk about that one next week. 
Uh, one other thing, if you guys are enjoying the show, uh, please feel free to go to iTunes, leave us a quick review. It always does help us out big time, more than you can even imagine. Uh, rate Ratings and reviews, uh, words in particular, the reviews, uh, move us up those iTunes charts so that more people can find us, more people can uh, listen, more people can join the Facebook group, join the discussion, etc., etc. It's like a big, awesome snowball of goodness when you do that. Yeah. And, and I will say this, please do that because um, the Westworld podcast is gaining a lot more reviews and I don't want it to overtake viewing film. <laughs> That's right. Westworld podcast is doing pretty good. So if you're watching that yeah. show, check it out. Finding Freedom, a Westworld podcast put on by uh, myself and uh, co-host Alexis. So. It's a good one as well. But that's it for us this week. Go watch Nightmare Before Christmas some point during this Halloween season. You owe it to yourself. Watch it once. Watch it twice. Sing it. Love it. Until next time, stay positive. And keep feeling film. What's this? What's this? <laughs> <laughs>